Please rise as we read God's word together from Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 38. Hear the reading of God's word. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So far, the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your word. And I pray that you would carry the words of mind to these people gathered here, your people gathered here, that through your words, that you would mold and shape lives, and that you would shine your countenance upon them even now. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. You may be seated. What are you waiting for? This time of the year, we're all waiting for something. Some of us are waiting for Christmas morning so that we can open presents. Some of us are waiting for Christmas to be over so we can just move on. Some of us are waiting for life to slow down from all the busyness because it's just overwhelming. Some of us are waiting for life to speed up so we can get to the next project, the next deal, or the next stage of life. All of us are waiting for something. In this season of Advent, we find ourselves, once again, in familiar texts, with familiar messages preached by familiar pastors, and we're burdened by the same old, same old. I wonder if I could ask you something this morning, for all of us. Can we just take a moment and reflect on life, even as Nate did this morning, as he reflected on his last year or so on the campus of UTA. I wonder if we can do a bit of the same. To sincerely take a moment and reflect upon the last year, perhaps the last two years. As they say now, it's been a thing, right? It's been a journey. Maybe you heard the news, Brian Williams, the longtime news anchor for NBC, retired this week. In his final address on television, Uh, from NBC, he said that America in 2021 is unrecognizable. He doesn't know what America looks like anymore. He doesn't understand it. He doesn't know what it looks like. How many of us feel this deeply? No matter how we look at the world today, it all appears unrecognizable. The people we thought we knew, we don't think we know anymore. The things we thought were true, we question. The areas of commonality are no longer strongholds. We thought we recognized the world we lived in, 
We thought we recognized the country we live in, the state we live in, the city we lived in. We thought we recognized the families that we live in. But in reality, so much about our hearts, our country, our city, our state, our families have changed. And something's been revealed in this moment in the last year or two. So again, may we just take a moment to reflect. To reflect on what we recognize, what we don't recognize. And then may we ask the question again as we sit in contemplation. What are you waiting for? So a bit of awkwardness, let's just take five, ten seconds or so and reflect. What do you recognize? What do you not recognize? What are you waiting for? Simeon, along with the people of Israel, have been waiting for 400 years, and Simeon continues to wait. This is what we find in Luke chapter 2. Simeon was waiting just as we wait. He was waiting in a world that to him was unrecognizable, a place that it wasn't supposed to be this way. God's people weren't supposed to find themselves here, now, in this spot, in this time, in this place, a world where his people were under oppression and opposition. A world that had been waiting for 400 years for some kind of word from the Lord. Something, anything, but all there was was emptiness and unrecognizable reality. And I would dare to say that many of us know this very well as well. For in unrecognizable times, then we lean into fear, don't we? We lean into fear because we don't know what lies around the corner and that gets us anxious. We lean into isolation because it's easier and safer to not go outside of our comfort zones so we don't risk relationships or transparency because we don't recognize the other person. We lean into despair because that seems the right thing to do. We lean into ourselves and away from the Lord. For in the unrecognizable, the Lord doesn't seem to show up. He doesn't seem to reveal too much to us. And it comes increasingly more difficult to trust, to wait, to hope for much of anything. What are you waiting for? Simeon was waiting. What was Simeon waiting for? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel, you might ask, what is that? What does that mean, the consolation of Israel? That seems to be one of those Christianese or those church types of phrases. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Great, thank you. The consolation of Israel is just that. It's something to console the hurting, to console the lonely, the anxious, to reach into the unrecognizable times and provide a soothing embrace of love and grace. Something familiar, loving, kind. I would ride my bike for hours and hours in the summertime with my friends, and I loved it. We, my friend, one of my good friends and I, we would ride around our neighborhood from sunup to sundown. 
And we had, um, along with some of the other boys in the neighborhood, constructed this boy-made, not man-made, boy-made BMX track with jumps and berms, and it was the greatest thing in the world. And we thought for sure it was the best BMX track ever created by anybody. Looking back, I don't think it was all that much, but it sure was fun to us. On one particular day, I remember I got a little overzealous, a little overaggressive on one of those jumps. I thought I was really good and got a little bit, uh, yeah. And uh, next thing I know, my heels were over my head and my head was over the handlebars and it was painful. I was wearing braces in those days and good thing, those braces saved a few of my teeth. But I was torn up. I was beaten. My bike was in tatters. And I remember walking my bike back home, thinking for sure that I was going to get it from my father for ruining a very expensive bike. But I pulled in the driveway, and he was working in the garage, and he had a look of shock on his face as he saw the mess that had been created. I was crying. He didn't get mad. He didn't scold me. He saw my bike, saw my face, and he embraced me. Took me inside, called my mom, and together they washed the blood away and they comforted me. They said, don't worry about the bike. We can get a new one. What is consolation? That's a picture of consolation. To comfort the hurting, to wipe away the tear. The prophet Isaiah says these words to us from the mouth of the Lord. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin had been paid for. The consolation of Israel is just that, comfort, comfort. The consolation of Israel that Simeon was waiting for, hoping for, was the Messiah. Simeon was told by the Lord through the Holy Spirit that he would not pass away until he saw face to face his eyes gazing on this Messiah to know the embrace of the consolation of Israel. This is what Simeon was waiting for, for the tears to be wiped away. For him to be embraced by the Messiah. Simeon would know a hug from the Father, from God. Simeon would know and see with his own eyes just what comfort looks like, feels like, who it is. What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? Friends, may I point us in the direction of the loving consolation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The one who embraces us with his grace who embraces us with peace, a peace that passes all understanding in these unrecognizable times that we live in. May I point us to the one whom we in this Advent season often find too recognizable, too familiar, too same old, same old. Too much the same, too much the same as last year. But I wonder this year, can we recognize him? Can we recognize his comfort, his consolation in times of unrecognizable reality?
Simeon was waiting for the consolation, and the Spirit led him to the temple where he found a small boy and his parents. His parents who had nothing, who Luke tells us, that they brought two turtle doves or two pigeons. For Leviticus chapter 12, it gives the prescriptions of what you're supposed to bring on this day when you bring a child to them according to the law to, to have them consecrated. You're supposed to bring a lamb. But if you can't afford a lamb, then you can bring pigeons or doves. It says to us that Mary and Joseph did not bring a lamb, but they brought either pigeons or doves. But they also brought everything. For they brought the consolation of Israel. They brought the Lord in the flesh, Jesus. Simeon then sees these parents, and he sees this boy, and he takes this boy in his arms, and he blesses the parents, and he praises the Lord with a beautiful song of hope. And Simeon's life was now fulfilled. He could pass into the glory of the Lord because he had experienced the consoling embrace of his Lord. And as he gazed upon the Messiah that he was waiting for, he spoke some words to the parents. He told them that this child was appointed for something. This child was appointing for the rise and the fall of many in Israel in order that hearts would be revealed. I wondered about this scene this week as I was reading this over and over again. And, it, and it, Luke doesn't give us a lot of information about who Simeon is. All he says is there was a man. There was this guy named Simeon, and he was righteous and he was devout. He doesn't give us any more news than that. So we don't know if Mar uh, Joseph and Mary knew Simeon. Perhaps they did. Perhaps they didn't. In my mind, Luke just says there was some guy in the temple, and he saw Mary and Joseph, and he saw this boy, and he grabs this boy in his arms, and he praises the Lord. Now, if I'm a new father, and I have my son, my first son, and this guy just takes this son from me and starts talking to me about who he is, this would be a little strange. But it says Mary and Joseph didn't think that. They marveled. They marveled at the things that Simeon was saying about their son because the Lord had revealed to them as well who this boy was. Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph marveled at these things. But then Simeon tells them some peculiar things. Their son would be the rise and fall of many and that he would reveal the hearts of many. What do these things mean? What would he reveal? What is Simeon talking about? There are any number of things that the Lord reveals about our hearts. We know this too well in our lives, very well, I should say. For the Lord often reveals our joys, our sorrows, our sins. But it seems to me that in this context, what's being marveled at, what's being revealed about the hearts of many, is what they believe about this little boy in the temple. Who do you say this boy is? Who do you say? The thoughts of the hearts will be revealed about what they are waiting for. So again, I ask the question to you, what are you waiting for? Or maybe we can put it this way. What are you hoping for? What is hope? Now there are many ways that we can approach and approach hope, and perhaps there may be many things that have been said about hope, and there's lots of times Advent sermons are preached about hope, and you could be saying this is yet another Advent Christmas message about hope. And yes, 
It is. But this is what we have as Christians is hope. But there's something about hope. We all have it. We all have hope in something. So what is hope? What is your hope? What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? In an article in Psychology Today, hope is defined this way. Hope is to want an outcome that makes your life better in some way. That sounds like a pretty good thing to hope for. Make my life better. Anything to make my life better. That sounds great. I would tend to agree with that. That's a pretty good definition of hope. But why do we all have hope? Why is that something that we all understand, whether we can define it or not? Why do we all understand on some level hope? Because on some level we all understand that our lives aren't all put together. Our lives aren't always recognizable. Life hasn't always turned out exactly the way we wanted it to. It's gone down paths and roads that have twisted and turned, and sometimes we've enjoyed that twist. Other times we've loathed that twist. The road has gone unintended many times. And so we hope. We want something better. Something more. We long for things to be corrected, to be made right, to be restored, to not be broken anymore. So, we hope. What are you hoping for? Simeon saw that the Messiah had come. And it was in that moment he knew what hope looked like. He knew firsthand, for in his hands he held hope. He held hope in his arms. The Messiah has come, and hope is revealed. So what is our hope? The Heidelberg Catechism, another catechism that we often use in our worship to to proclaim our faith, says our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ. This is what Simeon sees in the temple on that day. He sees his only hope. He sees his only life, and he's holding it in his hands. And this is what we see now before us as well. The Messiah has come and He gives us hope. So what is hope? Luke records the words of Simeon that provide us with the glorious answer of how God gives us hope, or or better yet, how to recognize hope in unrecognizable times. Maybe we can approach hope this way. Maybe using the opposite of hope, right? What, What is the one thing that will tarnish and dash hope? Can you think of that? It's not a riddle. It's not a puzzle. But what is one thing that will just completely shatter your hope? A betrayal. A lie. Each and every one of us has entered into a relationship with a magnitude of hope. Perhaps not a relationship, but maybe it was a new job where the world was promised to you. A world of riches and fame and comfort and security of promotions and power. Hope. But a relationship can give us hope too. A relationship maybe perhaps where we feel safe and comfortable. Free to be our transparent self with nothing to hide. Perhaps we've even placed our deepest 
the vulnerability and the care of someone in order that they would hold them and hold us with compassion and consolation. Maybe after years of relationship, the shine, however, is worn off. And the hopes and dreams of love and care have gone away. They've been shattered. The vows that were made years ago are now betrayed by both parties. The job does not have the security or the compensation or the security or the fulfillment that you were promised. Betrayal and lies run deep. And we find it hard to hope. For these things tarnish hope. They shatter it. These things cause us then to put up walls of protection, don't they? To preserve our own hearts, to preserve our own selves. I don't want to be shattered. I don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be touched in that way again, so I'm not going to put myself out there. We ask, how can we hope if we can't trust? There was a time when a betrayal took place that shaped the course of humanity. The Lord God had created a wonderful place, a wonderful universe, a place where He and His people were in union and they communed with one another. They had nothing to hide. There was no shame. There was no guilt. And then a betrayal. Adam and Eve betrayed the Lord and rebelled against His law and against His creation. Then shame and fear and guilt and hurt ran rampant among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve hid among those trees of guilt and shame. For they were greatly afraid of what the Lord would think and do. There were and there are consequences to this rebellion. Relationships were shattered. They were broken. And we feel this impact even now. We feel the reverberations of that sin so many years ago. Dreams were shattered. And we feel this in our own lives. But all the while, all the while, as the trees were being shook, as our hearts were being torn, something happened. In the shame and the rebellion and the hurt, when the garden had been turned unrecognizable, something marvelous took place. God makes a promise. God makes a promise to Adam and Eve. In Luke chapter 2, He makes a promise to Simeon. The promise to Adam and Eve was, we know this promise, right, that when the Lord saw them and the curse was now cast, He said, however, I'm going to send someone that will crush the enemy's head. I will crush him dead. He would restore things to the way they're supposed to be. There is one coming that will do this. Wait for Him. Hope for Him. A Messiah would come to wipe away every tear from their eye. There would be no more mourning, no more crying, no more dying. In Luke chapter 2, there was a promise also made to Simeon. Simeon, you will not pass away until you see this one coming. The one who was promised to Adam and Eve, you will not die until you see this Christ, this Messiah. The Lord made a promise to Adam and Eve. The Lord made a promise to Simeon. Luke 2.29 
Simeon says these words, Lord, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Friends, where does hope lie? Hope lies in the fact that the Lord keeps his promises. Hope lies in the fact that the Lord kept his promise to Adam and Eve that he would send a Messiah, that he would send a Christ, one to dwell among them, to give them something that they can, have, they can recognize and to latch onto. The Lord kept his promise to Simeon that you would not die until you see this Christ. And here now in the temple, Simeon is holding this Christ, this Messiah, and he sees hope and he sees that the Lord does what he says. The Lord is a promise keeper. The Lord has sent the one to strike the enemy down, to strike his head, and we no longer have to fear death and sin and hell. A promise was fulfilled to Adam and Eve. A promise was fulfilled to Simeon that Yahweh has come to console his wounds and the wounds of his people. Hope is in the fact that God keeps his promises to his people, even in unrecognizable times like the garden even in unrecognizable times in the times of Roman oppression, even in unrecognizable times in 2020-21, the Lord keeps His promises. And His promise to you is that even here and now, this day, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. This is what we hope in. How do we know? How do we know this is true? Because He kept His promise to Adam and Eve. And He kept His promise to Simeon. And he will keep his promise to us. And perhaps the most poignant and applicable promise the Lord keeps is in what Simeon sings about in verses 30 and 31 in Luke chapter 2. Hope is defined in the fact that the Lord prepares salvation for us. This is what he has promised to his people. Simeon and the people have been waiting for hundreds of years for this moment. And here and now, Simeon holds salvation in his fingers in the form of this baby. Simeon recognizes the impact of this moment. Hope for the Christian is not a wish. It's the assurance that God will do what He says. And the Lord tells us that the Lord has prepared salvation for His people. And in this child, in this Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Anointed One of Israel, salvation is made real. Salvation for the Christian is peace. Salvation for the Christian is access to the glory of the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean to have access to the glory of the Lord? Yes, we could talk about salvation meaning justification. Yes, we could talk about salvation as sanctification, this process of becoming more like Christ. Yes, we could talk about salvation as adoption. We could talk about salvation as all sorts of things. But when we think of salvation, do we think of salvation as having access to the glory of the Lord? Having access to the throne room of the Creator of the universe? That we get to look on His face? That we get to see His eyes looking on and into our hearts and into our souls? To see His consolation casting down upon us? In other words, we get a relationship with the Creator of the universe. We get to look into the eyes of Yahweh. It reminds me 
How many times in the Old Testament that people couldn't see the face of the Lord? Even as we read last week, the, the angels were, were, were astounded by the glory of the Lord as it shone around them and they were stricken with great fear. But salvation brings us in to the presence of the Lord where He looks at us as His children. And so we come back to this story of Simeon holding a baby. Holding this Messiah. This Christ. And he looks into his face. And he says, Lord, you've answered your promise. And the Lord looks back in the flesh. We see his face. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, describes hope in this way. For now, we see in a mirror dimly. But then, do you know this word? Do you know this phrase? But then, face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. When does Paul know salvation fully? When he's face to face with the glory of the Lord. Simeon held Jesus and he gazes into his eyes. And he can be at peace. Simeon knew fully because he saw face to face. So imagine with me afresh this day, this Advent season, that the Lord prepares salvation for us. And there is a day. There is a day that we're assured of, that we're promised, and we know that He is a promise keeper, that we will see His face. So people of God, what are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? The hope of a Christian is to look into the face of their Savior. To look face to face. What are you waiting for? What are you hoping for? To see the Father's countenance shining upon me. Maybe we can put it this way. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Where is hope found? It's found in the face of our Savior. So may we hope in the light of His glory and grace. Friends, look to your Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank You that You shine Your glory upon us. Holy Spirit, move in our hearts that we would be able to see Your face. That we would be able to see Your glory and Your grace that's been given to us. May we look fully into Your wonderful face to see the light of Your glory and grace. Wash over us with this hope this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to do something a little bit different here this morning. Um, before we come to the table, I'm going to ask us to participate in that very thing. I quoted uh, this wonderful hymn of the church, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. So I want to invite you as we come to this table to prepare your hearts to turn and look into the face of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Sing with us. <laughs>